All right, guys, I got some bad news. In seven years, I'm going to get on out of here. I'm done. Oh, no. Oh, that's so <laughs> bad news. You guys, oh, we're going to miss you so much. Man, you guys don't even think about retirement, man. Like, I'm I'm so, I feel like I'm so close, man. I'm ready to get on out of here. Man, I think about it. I'm going to retire by the time I'm 34. You're 33, man. Yeah. <laughs> how, man. You, how you plan to do that? Social media. Watch my YouTube. <laughs> right, what you mean? Like, I got three black dudes. This is about to blow up. That's all. I'm trying to make money off of this. It's going to be two black dudes from Washington. And one black dude from Belize. <laughs> yep, because I'm retiring at 34. <laughs> right, right. You're gonna be the one still here. You guys gotta start seriously thinking about it, man. You guys, are, you guys, are not think about it. Like you just think about one day not working, but you're not figuring out how I'm gonna get paid. Look, man, I'm saving. I, I'm I, saving. Look, I got a 403b. I'm getting this pension. You know. Like, but you're not gonna stay for the pension, man. You you you're not gonna be in this profession that long. You're saying. Okay, so like you're what saying, you mean? I'm, I'm beyond your coins then. Hey, <laughs> if you can get them from me in Belize. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> not gonna be here. Gonna all be right, hard. man. All right, look. All right, we gotta get to the main dish. All right. All right. You are listening to the three black dudes at lunch. Mike, the professor. We back, man. It's season two. Hey, season two, man. The middle man. Semester for you guys. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. We back, man. Season two. It feels good. Feels you great. Our intro music. We brand new. You know. You know. I feel like the the kid on the first day of school coming in his brand new clothes. You yeah. know. Feels good. Just want to vibe to the music. Feels good, doesn't it, man? Absolutely, man. Oh, you yeah. Put it together. You arranged it. Uh. The new Quincy Jones. <laughs> 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 I'm about to own Motown sooner or later. You don't even know. All right. So look. We welcome you back, new listeners, old listeners, to Three Black Dudes at Lunch, season two. We are so excited to be back. I know it's been a while. It has been a long time, gentlemen. But new school year, we finally ready. We finally ready to record. So with that being said, Mike, what's on the menu today? Hey, today we got school lunch, nachos, and mystery cheese sauce. <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, I don't know, but they serve it almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> so what's our topic? What's our topic? Topic today, we're so, so honored here. We got um, the Washington Teachers Union president with us, Miss Elizabeth Davis. Thank yes. So I'm going to just, you know, read a, a, a brief bio. Um, so Miss Elizabeth Davis, some people call her Liz, an award-winning educator, has taught in D.C. public schools for 41 years, most recently as an information technology teacher at Phelps High School. After being recruited to teach drafting at Jefferson Junior High School in 1972 by the superintendent who was impressed by a course she designed, the school's principal decided to buy or try to bar her from the job because she was a female. Fighting for her right to teach and her female students' right to take classes in a male-dominated vocational education field set the tone for a life as an activist. During decades when many DCPS facilities were literally falling down around students and staff, Davis became known as a teacher who was unafraid to stand up to unsafe conditions, from water contaminated with unsafe levels of lead to tar fumes that were sickening students and teachers forced to stay in a school with a collapsed roof. Miss Elizabeth Davis. Welcome, Ms. Davis. And thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This is my alma mater, Eastern High School. Yes. So I'm excited to be here. And we're excited to have you here, too. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Power to the people. <laughs> yes. All right, Ms. Davis, question one, huh? Wow, <laughs> when you initially ran to become president of the Washington Teachers Union, you ran on a platform of restoring democracy and 
and greater membership participation, building a stronger partnership with parents and community organizations, engage on the content of educational reform, and work to improve the climate in schools to create a more respectful place to work and for students to learn. Yes. I'm the professor, so I give grades. So I'm gonna ask you to give yourself a grade on how you, how you did in these areas. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I would give myself, uh, actually there are phases, uh, stages I should say, starting with my years here as a high school student at Eastern High School. I joined the Modern Strivers, uh, a student organization that dealt with issues of social justice, uh, and of course that led me into my the profession as teaching with the idea that teaching had to be about more than just teaching the three R's. It had to be about teaching for liberation, teaching students how to think critically about problems and solving them. So in that respect, I would give myself an A. Mm -hmm. My students at Jefferson Academy, the first year I taught, girls who were denied access into non-traditional courses, uh, I encouraged them to file the same complaint that I did to ensure that they would be allowed to do so, and we did. And of course, they were victorious in that respect. So girls were allowed to take non-traditional courses, any course they wanted other than cooking and sewing. Uh, the second phase, be beginning uh, my second 10 years as a DC public school teacher, uh, I would give myself a B plus, because although I, was, uh, I considered myself to be an advocate and an activist, but I was not very diplomatic about it, to be honest with you. I was very aggressive as a student, even in universe, at university level. I participated in a lot of demonstrations and rallies. And I wanted my students to understand that, in some instances, uh, when you've exhausted all remedy, you have to resist in other ways with peaceful demonstrations. But you have to always raise your voice in the face of injustices. So I would give myself a B minus. Uh, the third 10 years, the third decade of my career, I would give myself an A. Uh, I ended uh, my, actually I'm still an educator, I will always be, but my last year in a classroom was at Phelps Architecture Construction Engineering High School. I maintained my status as a highly effective teacher all 41 years of my career under three evaluation systems and at least eight superintendents and two chancellors. And I'm proud of that because I'm very, I'm also Although I am about social justice for my students, I'm also about quality teaching and learning. I want the best for students in every zip code, in every school, irrespective of race, socioeconomics, or, or class. I, want, I think that all of our students deserve the best education possible. So uh, this new role as union president is basically a continuation of what, I, what I've always done as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so what grade would you give yourself as the union president? Uh, until the contract of the money is in your account, because that is a big dark cloud hanging over my head right now. I'm proud of the fact that we were able to secure the money, uh, get a vote, 97% vote from our voting uh, members, uh, and uh, the council unanimously approved our contract. Mm -hmm. However, right now we're stalling. We are at a st another stall point where um, the city is unable to process these payments to teachers in a timely manner. So I'm going to give, I'm going to take some responsibility for that until I've exhausted every remedy to, ex to expedite this process. And I began today by meeting with Council Member Grasso. Um, first thing this morning with DC Public Schools, Council Member Grasso contacted other council members to actually apply whatever influence they have 
uh, to the city administrator, the CFO, and the mayor's office to expedite the payments to teachers. So I will give myself an A minus. Mm -hmm. And once that is done, I'll give myself an A plus. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Self-grading practices right there. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Always never grade yourself down. No. Good. Well, it's been since 2012, um, since the teachers in Washington, D.C. had a contract. Most of that time was under Michelle Ree and her protege, Kaya Henderson. Um, you were negotiating with them and with this new chancellor. Uh, can you tell us um, how different was it negotiating with this chancellor, who we actually got it done with, um, than those two, or what was your experiences? That's a good question. And you know, to be honest with you, when I began uh, my term, uh, uh, Chancellor Henderson and I were friends before uh, she became deputy chancellor and chancellor. So I figured that we, you know, would be able to get this thing done because we uh, shared a, a vision for where we wanted the schools to go. However, uh, I was wrong. During the process, and it was a three and a half year process under Kaya Henderson, um, I discovered that her focus was more so on having more managerial control um, and, and less teacher voice than it was in um, some of the uh, priority issues that I raised. Closing the achievement gap was one of my top priorities. And the teachers on our contract team agreed with me. They did not go into negotiations talking about their money. They went in talking about the inequities that still exist in our school system, uh, the disparities in how schools are funded and resourced from ward to ward, and they wanted to have those, those they wanted to uh, propose um, language that would help to level the learning field for all of our kids. Kaya Henderson, we were not on the same page in that respect. A number of issues that I wanted our contract language to address she was not comfortable addressing that in contracts, such as community schools that provide wraparound services for, for kids who are, uh, in, uh, who are coming from very poor communities. Um, she did not want to address the diversity issue in the teaching force, which has uh, declined from teachers of color from 72% in 2007 to less than 49. Mm. Uh, and, and, and when I talked to her about the diversity of the teaching force, it was not about having black teachers only in front of black kids. It was about having teachers of color in front of all kids. We live in a global society that requires our students to be, to see role models, positive role models of all races and ethnicities and ages. And uh, she, this was not something that she considered a priority. And of course, um, after she um, left, uh, Chancellor Wilson, came in and we had a discussion about those sticking points. I wanted to uh, offer him all of the proposals that I had offered to Chancellor Henderson. And of course, some of those proposals he agreed, want, he, he wanted us to bring those back to the table when we negotiate a new contract. But the main issue around this contract that we recently negotiated was getting teachers a pay raise because they have been without one for five years. So speaking on the contract, and I think because, you know, Across the nation, you know, a lot of people are negotiating contracts and there is give and take. And so what would you say was the biggest give and the biggest take that we that we benefited from from this contract? I would say uh, the D.C. Star Memorandum of Understanding, which Chancellor Wilson and I agreed to, uh, it is a part of the contract. Uh, it basically gives teachers who in every school voice and whether or not they want to implement extended lear uh, learning 
extended year or day in their schools. And of course, we are, the union has never been opposed to extended learning opportunities. We, do, we are opposed to simply ex extending time without giving any thought to what students are doing in that extra time. Whether if, if teachers have time to collaborate with each other authentically and plan together. So the, um, the MOU around the, ex uh, the DC STAR proposal is, is very good. And of course, the fact that this chancellor was not asking for us to give up other concessions that gave teachers voice that engaged teachers in decision making in our local schools was a good sign that he want to collaborate with with um, stakeholders just particularly wanna, teachers i just want to piggyback on that because merlin just went to starting after labor day and ending before june 15th right so the governor in the state of merlin our neighboring jurisdiction wanted to reduce the amount of, or at least condense the time that students are in school. Agreed? Agreed, right. Okay, so is what's best practice uh, is, what, is what the governor did in Maryland, because we're talking about ex possibly extending the school year here in the district. The right? That the was the memorandum of understanding, right? Right, okay. and of course, um, it, it is really addressing uh, the uh, the schools that have already been that have already been uh, identified to extend their year. The governor uh, in Maryland has the right idea. He's following best practices nationally and internationally right. for several years, at, at least more than twelve years. Uh, the international organization OECD uh, conducts a summit in a different country every two years. I attended the one in Alberta, Canada. Basically, the highest performing school districts in the world are invited to this summit. And so s when I attended, only 16 school uh, countries were invited. U.S. fell number 16. Um, what I learned from the, those, day, those five days at this summit, from the highest performing school districts in the world, I looked at the commonalities amongst all. The amount of time teachers are in school teaching. Sweden, Finland, Japan, Shanghai, the amount of time teachers were given to plan lessons, to collaborate with each other, increased. Those nations, if you're following a model for success, follow the ones of school districts that have had success. Extending more time for students to be in school has not proven to be beneficial in terms of academic achievement, just to say, just to cut to the chase. Yeah. And we have the research to show what happens when you simply extend, expand, extend the time without looking at how you're structuring. What is, how is that time being utilized? If teachers are basically spending more time instructing and testing, you're gonna get more of the same. Yeah, uh, so I wanna reiterate that we're talking to uh, Elizabeth Davis, the Washington Teacher Union President. And I wanted to talk about that. I'm glad that we, we had the opportunity to bring up you know, uh, other areas, right? And, and I wanna also talk about unions in other areas. So I think that um, we, Everything you said has shown why a union is so important. Mm -hmm. However, I think we've seen just across, as I said, across the nation, internationally, that unions are being weakened. Um, and there was an actually an article, it's a little old, but it was in 2012, that uh, at the time ranked the W2U as the 33rd best union out of all the states. Um, so mm -hmm. the, from now, we have October, uh, October 2012 to November 2017. One, at that time, why do you think we, the W2U received such a low ranking, and what improvements have we made to uh, increase our ranking as, as a strong union? Okay, uh, and of course when I ran for president, I ran on a platform of six promises. 
One was to focus the attention of our union on those issues that connect to teaching and learning beyond just pay raises and working conditions for teachers, but social justice issues that impacted the lives of students and teachers as well. Um, and of course, the rating that, that our union received prior to my coming on board, I'm sure had a lot to do with uh, the leadership, the vision of the leadership prior. Uh, if, uh, and of course, um, you are aware that we had some issues um, around uh, leadership issues, um, issues of corruption and malfeasance prior to my taking uh, the administrative role. But I, I do believe that a lot has had to do with the, the members, their vision. They're, they're wanting to see a union that is going to address issues beyond bread and butter issues just to survive. It's not enough for us to t focus solely on supports that are needed for teachers, but we've got to also frame our issues around students and families because those are the, s the people that we're serving. And, if, and what, what I've learned and what has raised our popularity is that we have engaged with other stakeholders, particularly parents. We've forged powerful alliances with parent groups all over the city in every ward. These parent groups extend, they, they reach out to us for us to uh, come to their monthly meetings. And of course, we never say no. We want parents to know because in, all a in actuality, parents are our most powerful allies as teachers. I know that. It is the only reason why I still sit here as a teacher because I would have been long terminated <laughs> with some of the <laughs> activism that I have, <laughs> some of the issues. But parent, in two instances, overturned invo an involuntary transfer that uh, I was subjected to for reporting contaminated drinking water, for reporting asbestos that was being removed from Sousa Middle School. Mm. So, and of course, the principals there did not want that to become public information. So their, way, their response was, I'll get you out of my building. But the parents said no. And is basically what overturned those transfers. Parents are our biggest allies. The, if the, all they want to know is that we care about their children as much as they do. Mm. And we do. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think, as you said, that uh, attacking all this, the, the, you know, the stakeholders in, 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 you know, in, this, in, in this fight for education is important. Parents, students, teachers. Um, we're all teachers. So you know, that's where we're going to focus. Um, <laughs> So I, 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 me and Mike always have this conversation, right? Uh, they, our audience knows that I'm the youngest one on this, on this panel. So uh, he, as you know, he goes to the WTU meetings. And honestly, I can honestly say that I've never been to a WTU meeting. Well, he comes and he does his part for you and everyone else. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I thank him, right, because we have enough conversations that Mike knows my concern. Um, and I, and, but I, I wanted to address, you know, the youth of education, right? Education is getting very young. Um, and just the sentiment that I hear from, you know, having those conversations with people who are young, they're not, they're not really excited about the union. Right. Um, and, and, and I can honestly say myself, I'm not really excited about a union, and I don't know why I'm not. Um, so my, I, I guess my question is, is what, ha what is the union doing to attract these younger teachers to be more involved, right? I think Mike tells me all the time, he says, I go to these meetings, and there are no young teachers there. Why are you not showing up? And I'm like, well, I got so many other things to do, right? Like, I'm, I just don't see a reason to show up in, the, in, in complete honesty. Um, so I, I, I guess that is a question. What, you know, these young teachers, what, what is the union doing to drag, or in, in, what can unions just anywhere do to, to, you know, start moving some of these younger teachers? And, and all unions everywhere, because I am a member of the Central Labor Council, mm -hmm. are agonizing with that very same question. And they, they a actually turned to me 
for answers because we have engaged, we've actually increased our membership by over 3,500 teachers in the past three years. But that's one point, that's one step. Mm -hmm. Engaging them and keeping them activated and wanting to participate, that's another phase. Mm -hmm. So what we've done is look at those things that are of interest to, to our young teachers. Uh, and when I visit schools, I ask them, you know, why don't you come to the rep assembly meeting? Oh, we don't like to sit in those meetings. We meet all day in schools. We want to go to happy hours. So guess what? We meet them at Cheers. We meet them at Jays. And no, they select a place, and we will have these meetings with schools, Jannies, at the places that they meet after hours. One point. Some of them are interested in the larger issues. I was amazed at the number of teachers that turned out to Senate Park for the Stop DeVos confirmation hearings. Mm -hmm. I looked around that park, and I must have observed at least 75 teachers, including five that I asked to come and moderate, introduce the senators who came out to ask for the, the vote. Every opportunity we have to engage new members, look out there, find out. Last night at my office, there must have been at least 32 teachers sitting there for an early childhood education task force because they said, we don't have any focus on early childhood ed. So we formed the task force, sent out the notice to all elementary school teachers. If you're interested, they came. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they are planning an early childhood institute that we're going to sponsor. We're going to support it, pay for it, and invite and get other stakeholders to attend because they want to have an audience with council members and policymakers, including the chancellor, about whether or not the curriculum that we're currently using is developmentally appropriate for early childhood ed. This gives them a voice. So we're looking at whatever. You as the youngest person sitting in this room now, mm -hmm. the question that you asked me, I'm going to ask you the same one. What can I do to engage you? See, I knew we, didn't we have this conversation? <laughs> I said, she's going to ask me, what can I do, right? That's right. And I don't know. I, I, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know. And here's the reason. And I, and I think you can do is go to a meeting. But let me say this. But even if he doesn't come to a meeting, because I'm sitting here thinking about how active I was as a teacher and how effective I was as an advocate and activist, I never went to a union meeting my first 15 years almost. Mm -hmm. I knew the contract, and I was, I was closely, and I was on one of the leadership teams in my school, but going to the meetings every month, we had a building rep that went every month, and they yeah. reported back what we, but you know, I'm not gonna say you should not come to a meeting because we open our meetings up to all members. Yes. Prior to my coming, it was only open to, rep, to building reps. Mm -hmm. I said, no. We're going to invite all teachers who want to come, even if they can't vote on an issue, they can sit and listen. But it doesn't matter as long as you, the questions that you've raised let me know that you are aware of the importance of unions and the importance of us having belonging to unions. Yes, I, I agree. And I think my fear is is that, um, you know, well, one, like I said, complete honesty, right? One, I don't know if I, this is my, my long-term profession, right? I love teaching. But I'm not sure if this is where I'll, I'll be forever, okay. right? I think, you know, the district that I teach in has made it really hard to see this as a long-term profession, just to be completely honest. Um, so, and I know a lot of young people who, who think that way, right? So then they don't see the importance in the union other than the small, I don't want to say small, because the, 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 the money increase is very important, right? right? But I think that's something that's important but it's not everything. Yeah, I think that's something important to very young teachers. But mm -hmm. I think even talking to Mike all the time, it's like, well, no, I'm I'm twenty, you know, twenty something years right, in. Right. That's not as necessarily important to me. So I think like two sides necessarily, it, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, right? Two sides are being alienated because alienated, excuse me, mm -hmm. because well, you know, you younger teachers are like, well, I don't even see myself in this profession in five years anyway. Mm -hmm. 
Older teachers are like, well, what I really wanted in the contract was, you know, a, 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 a shorter retirement or, you know, more benefits in terms of that situation. So, it, it you know, it, I think that makes it for younger teachers and, and I, I guess I would say millennial teachers, right? right? I guess that's a better word. It makes it, when they look at the situation, it's like, well, what's the point, right? And what's we had, it's ironic that you, you're raising some very good points here because we had two millennials on our contract team and they raised the same issue. So we were able to draft proposals to even address the issue of the number of years that teachers should be able to uh, to work to retire. Mm -hmm. But those proposals were all rejected. Not a problem. That team that we were negotiating with were not interested in any proposals that were going to retain you or, or new teachers. They were interested in managerial power, rights, and control. But the new leadership, we're hopeful that we can come back with those same proposals, including the one you just mentioned uh, and some others, Fresh ideas from t uh, a team of six teachers who expressed in their proposals to the school system a lot of the ideas that you're expressing. And one of them was the retention of two t new teachers. Why are we losing so many new teachers? Because you have the answer. And even though you're saying you're not sure if this is a career that you want to stay in, there is a reason why you're not sure about it. Based on your experience that you've had already in this profession mm -hmm. in this city. Agreed. I agree. I agree. Yeah, and and I'm not quite as young as Derek, still youthful. And I was telling Mike the other day, I like I'm not sure what it would take, but I, I would like to feel that I'm protected in a way. And I know like in DC we can't strike. Not that I would even strike, but it feels like if something was going unjust in this building towards teachers, I feel like I would just have to deal with it. And that that may not be the case, but as a younger teacher, just wondering like you know, like when you watched on TV growing up, you see the, the steel workers going on strike, like something just happening. We're not about it. We're striking. Right. Um, I'm not sure that with our union there is anything like that. Is there any short-term remedies or things that the youth, the younger uh, members could get involved with and see a turnaround? Because, you know, D.C.'s politics is a long, yes. long game. But like you said, we're not here for 30 years. Right. We have at this very time. Uh, I contracted uh, an organization, Jobs with Justice. They're doing uh, it's teacher power training. It's Jobs with Justice, training. I know what that is. I volunteer with them, actually. Yes. yes, so they're doing uh, a four, uh, an it's an institute. We have 43 teachers enrolled in it. They meet uh, for two hours, two and a half hours, four times. The third meeting is coming up next week. After they finished, we're going to send those schools that came with at least four teachers from their schools, we're sending them to the conference in Chicago, the Labor Notes Conference. But that's just the beginning. We, we're going to ask those teachers to do something after this, uh, continuously. We want to have lobby teams of teachers who will, these are teams of teachers who live in the district, or Maryland or Virginia, who will meet with a council member once a month about issues that are relevant to teaching and learning lobby teams. These are teams of teachers that will be able to signal the message to council members and the mayor that we can actually influence your election or non-election. That's, that's power. Because you have to look at what policy makers care about. They care about their jobs, like we do. Mm -hmm. Now I, and, and of course, even though we have a no-strike clause, we had one when we struck the last two times, and the very first day I was assigned to Jefferson, the teachers were on strike. I was so young and silly, I didn't even know what it was. So I'm sitting out wondering why the teacher's sitting outside on the steps. But they instructed me as to what to do, which was get in your car and go home. <laughs> and I did. 
uh, because I don't cross <laughs> picket lines. <Yeah>. But <laughs> since that time, uh, I'm glad to hear the point that you've made because, there, yes, there are things that we can do without having to strike. And, of course, even though we have a no-strike clause, it has happened where we simply struck and paid the fines. Okay. But we want to be able to be strategic enough to, to, to build the capacity, to have the power to signal to council members, the mayor, and elected officials that we don't have to strike. When we make a demand, especially if it is a reasonable one that is about quality teaching and improving our schools for all kids, you, you, you will have to because we will have the community at large right behind us. I like that answer. That was a really good answer. Yeah. yeah. I want to go back to this article for a minute, right? Sure. This that we talked about because, again, they rated the district 33rd, right? Okay. So that's, that's not quite an A. Now, when you say the district, you mean the district or the union? The, or the Was uh, Washington Teachers Union, okay. 33rd in the nation okay. when it right. comes to states. So. And that rating was done when? 2012. Okay. Before I came on. Thank yeah. goodness. All right. But they, they looked at five categories. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about two of these categories, which is state policy, right? And okay. also perceived influence of the union, right? Under state policies, in terms of the policies that they that the state makes for education, they gave the district forty ninth out of fifty one states. Wow. Yeah. This is a democratic city, mm -hmm. and the Democrats fail to stand up for the union because we have some very very conservative policies in this in the city. Would you agree? I agree. Education? But I, I'm, so. and, and I'm, I'm reflecting back to the, it, the year under which we, where we were put under mayoral control and how the shifts that took place. That was, that was under Mayor Fenty at the time. It was, it was 2007? Yeah, it was his first year. Right. There. And 2012 when this report, because I probably would have given the same score yeah. myself. When I think about policies that the union influenced in education, I can't think of any. The OSI, the Office of the State Superintendent of Education, set certification requirements. Mm -hmm. They set testing uh, requirements. But right now, they, the, uh, the state superintendent, which is Han Su Kang, uh, put in the ESSA accountability plan for DC public schools that she wanted to give 80% weight to test scores. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine? No Wait, are you asking me, can I imagine? <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> I can literally imagine DC and doing it was, that. And it was a recipe for, for, to destroy many of our schools. The pressure that we put on State Board of Ed, which we wanted it applied from them to her, reduced the percentage to 70. Still not low way enough. Too high. Yeah. Still way too high. School districts that are some of the highest performing in the nation reduced theirs to 55, the minimum that Department of Ed would allow. Right. And so why, why is it in a Democratic town, why is it in a Democratic town that we are, that the union is having so much difficulty because historically we always thought that Democrats were pro-union. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this, Mike, but over the years during in the past decade, and which is one of the reasons why I decided to run, I felt and expressed um, the fact that I thought we had a company union. I'm sorry. That's the way I felt. I felt that we were operating as a company union uh, because we were giving so many concessions and focusing only our attention on one thing, compensation, and nothing else. Yeah. Nothing else. And here's, and just re this is the last question about, about this article, right? 
All right. DC, they let me just read it here so that I can get it right. They uh, it, it says DC spends per people spending per people spending in DC is fourth highest in the nation at at about sixteen thousand thirty four at, at the time of this article sixteen thousand thirty four dollars per uh-huh. student. And it's probably still around there. We're probably still in the highest somewhere around there, right? Yeah. Per people, you're right. Yeah. Right. And they said, but only thirty three point two percent of those dollars go to teacher salaries and benefits. So in D.C., we spend, hold on for a second, we spend $16,000 per student. Only 33% of that goes towards teachers' benefits mm-hmm. and salaries. I'm going to look at the two neighboring jurisdictions, which are Maryland and Virginia. I'm glad you are. Yeah, Maryland, let me, Maryland spends $12,703 per student. Mm-hmm. 56% of those dollars are dedicated to teacher benefits and salaries. So that's still more, even though still they spend more. less per pupil. Yeah. Yeah. And in Virginia, right, which we think of as an ultra-conservative southern state, spends only $10,000, a little bit more than $10,000 per student. But yet they still, 57% of that still goes towards teacher benefits and salaries. If the money is not going to teachers' benefits and salaries in D.C., where is that money going? Mike, have you been on, well, you might want to just explore yourself we did exactly that when we were during the negotiations of our contract when we finally reached the stage on compensation for teachers we literally pulled up compensation for everyone above the level of teaching in the school district right up to the chancellor that was the only way we could contrast how little our teachers were paid because the chancellor the mantra was our teachers are the highest paid in the nation that is not true that is not true. When we look at the per pupil expenditures for DC, when we look at the amount of money that is given to the school budget and how much of that money go to teacher pay raises and salaries and how much actually end up in schools helping students, there's a huge disparity. Now one report from the Washington Post two years ago, maybe further back, talked about the top heavy management that we have in DC, the, the amount of money that is paid in um, administration, administrative overhead. You might want to take a look at that. That may help you to understand or get an answer to the question that you're raising. Mm-hmm. We have a tremendous amount of our school budget going towards administrative costs. Yeah, so I think I'll wrap this up with the last question because I'm, I'm glad you said that, and I'm glad that we're in a union now that did you know, negotiate a new contract, so we want to congratulate you on that. You. We have a new chancellor that seems willing to work with you, and um, like I said, you did get this contract done. So I guess the, the question is for everybody, right? Because <laughs> I think a lot of teachers, you know, even, even with the new contract, they're still down, right? right? Right. What's the hope? We have a new, we have a new chancellor. We have you know, a new contract, right? Where's the hope now? Where are we going forward? The hope is in the new leadership. And of course, uh, the new mindset. The chancellor inherited a staff that was left by previous chancellors, and it's going to take a while. Even though, even though he has a vision that is slightly different, it's going to take a while for that vision to manifest in the staff that he was left. I was left with a staff from the previous U- WTU president. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get into that. I get all emotional, but. Uh, I'm going to remain hopeful because until he has had an opportunity to match his actions with his words, we're going to have to withhold. Um, 
assessment, but closing the achievement gap, returning students back to our public schools are two mandates given to him by the city. Okay. And a timeline to do it. So he will not have three years to say, oh, sorry, it didn't work, and leave town. We had two chancellors who promised to close the achievement gap. After almost 10 years, a lot of money was spent. They were paid very high salaries and bonuses, and the gap grew by over 52 scale school points. That is outrageous. And we cannot wait, and nor can our students wait, for that to happen again. So we have no choice but to, not only in addition to being hopeful, we're going to have to take actions to ensure that the promises made, that steps and strategies that are being put in place are going to actually make those promises materialize. We can't just wait for it to happen, no. We're going to have to be a part of the plan. Gentlemen, anything else? Well, let's give her an opportunity to send our list listeners an opportunity to get in touch with her through her Twitter. You do Twitter? Sure. Do you have any sure. uh, social media platforms or any? Uh, our know? Twitter account is at WTU Teacher. Mine is at Davis uh, 704. Okay. Um, and would you, I have no idea what, would you like for me to give you a tweet? Yes. Of, of, yes. Course. Yes. <laughs> of course. Of yeah, course. I'm so glad you said that because, first of all, first of all, what we want to say is we really, this was an amazing conversation, and I'm sure the other Thank two you. black dudes can mm -hmm. agree with that. And you gave so much insight, right? And, and we asked you some hard-hitting questions, right? And you answered them eloquently. And I think we, we're, we're, as teachers, I think we can leave this room today feeling a little bit more hopeful, as you said. Um, so we just want to say Thank you, Miss Elizabeth Davis. Thank you for coming, yeah. <laughs> gracing our podcast. Thank you. I would just like to add one little quick advertisement. The Janice versus AFSCME Supreme Court case coming down the pike. Oh, yes. It's a little scary. Yes. And I just want to send a message out to all of our members and members of any union right. that you cannot allow, even if this case goes north, that you cannot allow the propaganda that's going to follow yes. to deter you from remaining in your union. And you will see all kinds of ad campaigns mm -hmm. that will be funded by Koch brothers and all other billionaires who want to see unions basically dead. Right. But we do, we do know the history of unions and why we needed them in the first place. Let's not forget. Thank you. I agree. Oh, yeah. So uh, just to make sure you understand what we're talking about is that there is a a, a case going on about can unions, uh, what is it, actually require you to, yeah, require you to pay dues, essentially. Um, so Even those members who receive benefits yes. from the negotiated. Can they still require you? Unions did, okay. but yeah. they, they, don't want that, they don't necessarily want to have to, they wouldn't have to pay the union dues. Agreed. If they exactly. Which, would, which payers, would destroy right. a lot of unions. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So Just once again, we, we say thank you. Um, if, once again, you liked what you heard, we want you to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes Music and Google Play Music. Please, 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 please rate us if you can. We need those to, you know, to grow our followers. Sit, you know, send it to somebody else. Let somebody else listen to it. We had a great conversation. We enjoyed it. Gentlemen, we out. This is yeah. good. All right. This is good. Welcome back. Welcome yes. back. Welcome back. back. Welcome back. I know it's, you know, 
30, 35 years for you guys, but you guys got to start thinking about it, man, saving up for your retirement, really thinking about how you want to do that. Man, I mean, here, so here's the honest truth, man. Like, I'm getting a pension from this job right now. However, I, like, I don't know how long I'm going to be in this job. And honestly, I don't even know, right? Like, how can I plan for retirement? I don't even know where I'm going to be. I may, what if I get into the private sector? Right now, my 403B turns into a 401K. There are so many unknowns, you know? that I, I honestly don't even know how to, to save right now for that, besides what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I mean, it's too many variables, but definitely think that whatever sector you're in, if they have a union, we gotta get behind the union and push for a shorter uh, retirement uh, service time, you know? Because 25 years, is, that's the old age, you know? It needs to be like 20, maybe 15. I mean, the police are doing it. Like, why Why is it so high when careers are switching so fast? Well, clearly you want a year because you retire next year. So what you mean? <laughs> oh, no, nah, that's, uh, you know, because my social media game is strong. <laughs> Typical m- millennial, man, right there. Man, but for real, I, I, I honestly, on, on some real, I, I don't know. I'm just being honest. Yeah. I don't know. And that's why that's why they call me the professor, because I got to get you guys to stop thinking, no. thinking about it. You that's why I mean? I'm about to be on your coin. All right, so, uh, <laughs> hey, we, 59, uh, $59 flights to Belize, we coming with you. All right? Yes. <laughs> we coming with you. I'm going to bring my girl. 